The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. Let's go ahead and get into the Word this morning. If you're a note taker, you can write this down, investing in a connection with God. My confession to you today is that my, my connection with God does not come naturally just because I'm a pastor, because some people think all pastors do is sit in their office and pray all day and read the Bible, and that's pretty much all they do. They occasionally go to the hospital, maybe do a wedding here, you know, a funeral there, something like that, but maybe a little bit of counseling or, you know, some, uh, you know, PR work visiting, you know, and things like that, but, you know, actually, there's a lot more to it than that. You'd be surprised at what a pastor does. I manage staff, I direct meetings, I work on budget items, I develop leaders, I help build volunteers, I help evaluate, develop policies, procedures, training, meet with our board, meet with community leaders. Um, I make sure that I connect with other pastors, other, individu other individuals, and oh yeah, I, I preach, you know, teach the Word of God. I do my uh, sermons, you know, every week, and it's always been a conviction of mine. I'm coming into my 18th year of full-time ministry, and in 18 years, I have always um, had to uh, build the sermon from the ground up. And every time I've ever spoken, whether it's even something I may have spoken on before, I've always built the messages from the ground up, even if it's something that I'm familiar with, because I have to be passionate about it in order to preach the Word. That's something I always tell people uh, when it comes to teaching the Word of God, is that it's got to be in you. It can't just be something that's up here. And so every week, I always develop my messages, I work on initiatives and vision and direction items and help develop solutions for current challenges, even logistical issues that we may face so we can keep on growing and keep expanding what God has called us to do. I invest in my personal leadership so I can grow. And then you get into Easter and Christmas, and those are really peak busy times. It becomes more hectic or when there's like a special event or something like that. There's just more on the table to deal with as well as helping other people through crisis and things like that. And what I'm trying to say is, is that my relationship with God doesn't come naturally or easily in the way of just doing a lot of good things because I can easily get caught up thinking that because I'm doing all of these good things that I'm okay, that I'm good with God because I've prepared sermons and I've done all these nice deeds for other people throughout the week and I've spent time you know, building into other people and I've spent time working in the church. And so therefore, in my own mind, often I can be tempted or drawn to think that I'm okay just because I'm doing all of these good things. But just because you're in ministry doesn't mean that ministry equates to your relationship with God. I have to spend time in the Word of God for myself, for Derek as a Christian, not as Derek as a pastor. I have to pray and spend time with the Lord for Derek as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, not just my pastoral role or my pastoral duties. And sometimes it's very easy to slip over into thinking that doing all the good things is enough, you know, and thinking, oh, well, that's, I'm, I'm doing good and in investing in my relationship with God. But I have to intentionally invest in my personal relationship with God because I can very easily get swayed into justifying all of the good things that I do just as a pastor. Matthew 6 and 33, Jesus said this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these other things will be added unto you. To give you some context to that scripture, 
Jesus had just finished saying, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, where you're going to sleep. You know, don't worry about all that stuff. He said, don't you know God's going to take care of you, so don't be anxious. Instead of focusing on all this other stuff, why don't you first seek God? Put Him at the first priority place in your life. Because good things do not equate to personal time with God. Good things don't equate to personal time with God. They're good things, and I would encourage you to do good things. But just because you're doing good things doesn't mean that you're investing in a relationship with God. Let's look at how Jesus frames this in Matthew chapter 7. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn over there. Matthew chapter 7. This is a hard passage of Scripture here in Matthew 7. We're going to read verse 15 through 23. Matthew 7, 15 through 23. This is what Jesus said. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you'll recognize a tree by its fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. Man, that is a scary portion of Scripture when we read it. Because Jesus is saying here that we can do things that look spiritual. We can do things that appear spiritual, but still not know God. He said, we can do all of these things and say, Lord, Lord, look, I'm prophesying in your name, casting out demons in your name. And he's like, I don't know who you are. I don't know you like you think you know me. You see, Jesus was dealing with the condition of the heart. That's why we read about the wolves in sheep's clothing, because he said, listen, the tree is either going to be good and the fruit is going to be good, or the tree is going to be bad and the fruit is going to be bad. Because you can say anything that anyone wants to hear to try to convince them that everything is good in your life. You can try to present whatever messaging and whatever, try, whatever narrative you want people to buy into. And you can rehearse it and say it, say it all day long. But just because you can rehearse it and say it doesn't mean that it's true. Because Jesus said a tree is known by its fruit. If the tree is good, then the fruit is going to be good. If the tree is bad, then the fruit is going to be bad. Just like we watch movies where there are actors who are paid a lot of money, a ridiculous amount of money, to convince you that there's someone they're not. That's really what they're doing. Uh, you, how many of you guys saw the movie Castaway? You saw the old movie Castaway with Tom Hanks in it? Tom Hanks was on a deserted island in this movie, right? Because he was the victim of a plane crash, and he's living on the island by himself, unless you count Wilson. Then Wilson was his only companion on the island. And as moving as it was to see him and how he, he, he tried to understand what this character would be going through, and he even didn't allow himself to eat for a certain number of days, and he got really skinny for the movie because he wanted to feel somewhat of what it would feel like to be able to convey and convince you that he's really this person alone on this island, his only companion is Wilson, this little ball that he's drawn a face on. And we all cried when he was on the raft and the waves came and Wilson got knocked off the raft and he says, Wilson, just let the man have his ball. And it 
made us cry, but guess what? Tom Hanks didn't sleep on that island one night. When he got through convincing you that that's who he was, he went back to his mansion and lived better than probably any of us. It was just a play. It was just something to convince you of something that wasn't actually reality. And so many times in our own lives, we can convince ourselves and try to convince other people that we really have relationship with God because we can try to do all of the things that we think we have to do in order to have relationship with God and convince other people that we really know Him. But Jesus said, it's not in the convincing because there's wolves in sheep's clothing. He said, it's rather in the fruit that comes out of someone's life. It's what type of fruit that they actually Produced. Jesus said, you'll know these people because their lives wouldn't bear fruit of the gospel at work in their lives. Second Timothy 3 and 5, the apostle Paul writes to young Timothy, and this is what he says, that there will be people that are going to have the appearance of godliness, but they're going to deny its power. He said, hey, avoid such people. People that are appearing like they have the power of God in their life. They have a form of godliness. But really, when you get down to it, there's no fruit. There's nothing there. Go over to Galatians chapter 5. Let's look at the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. The Apostle Paul, again, writing to the church in Galatia, here's what he says, Galatians 5 and 16. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These things are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, divisions, and the things like this, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do so, such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Here Paul is saying the fruit, the result of the Spirit of God living on the inside of you will be these things. This is the fruit you're supposed to be looking for. The evidence that an apple tree is an apple is the apple that's hanging on the branch. You know this is an apple tree because you see the fruit. The evidence that an orange tree is indeed an orange tree is the orange hanging from its branches. The evidence of a follower of Jesus Christ is not church attendance, amount of money given, amount of hours donated, or how nice you are to other people. The evidence of someone who has God's Spirit in them is the fruit of the Spirit of God at work in them. It's a testimony to the fact that you are a Christ follower. It's not the things that you're trying to do in order to earn God's love, but rather it's the things that come out of you, the fruit that flows out of you because you know Jesus. In other words, if you follow Christ, there should be a difference. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I thought I was in a church this morning. I, I, I said, if you're a Christ follower, there should be a difference in you. There should be something different about us, and the difference is what Jesus is doing in us. It doesn't mean we're perfect, because we are not a club of perfect people or, or, or the elite people who, who are just so much better than everyone else. No, 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 no. It's not a perfect people, 
but not of people who are comfortable with wrong. People who follow Christ and who have the Spirit of God living on the inside of them are not comfortable with wrong. We're not comfortable with sin. We're not comfortable with allowing negativity, gossip, lying, manipulation, sexual immorality, all of that stuff that the Apostle Paul just wrote in Galatians and said, these are the works of the flesh. That doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes. It doesn't mean that we don't slip into the flesh. It doesn't mean that we don't get tempted and we fall in temptation. It just means we're not okay with it. We're striving to grow in sanctification in Christ's likeness because we want our lives to honor God. Because we're living with a greater purpose that our life is actually being lived in response to what He's done for us on the cross. We recognize the ugliness of our sin and we recognize the sweetness of the grace of God. Because we see our need and we see the answer and we recognize that He is the answer and we know that we want to grow in following Jesus and being Christians or followers of Christ to show the world Christ in me, the hope of glory. To show the world what Christ can do in someone like me. That he would be willing to love and save someone in my condition. You know, I think that the biggest thing with investing in a relationship with God is not lying to yourself, but being honest with yourself. Instead of trying to convince everyone else, just recognizing the sin and repenting of the sin and not being okay with it. To me, as you look in Scripture and as you see what the Apostle Paul just talked about, it's not that we're perfect, but rather it's that we're just not okay with just living in sin. It's something in us that won't allow us to continue in sin, especially once we see it. Once it's revealed to us, it should cause us to want to repent, to want to grow, to not just be okay with sin. People who have the Spirit of God in them are not comfortable with just always being angry and holding grudges. It means we're not comfortable with that stuff and we want to grow free from sin because we believe that Jesus has freed us from sin and he's leading us and guiding us to repent and that his Holy Spirit convicts us not to shame us but to lead us to an experience of freedom that only Christ can give that brings glory to God and it brings freedom to our hearts because it's truly us living Christ in us and it's not us depending on ourselves for our own salvation because folks anyone can do good. You don't have to be a Christian to do good deeds. There are people that don't know Christ that do a lot of good things in the world. They're nice people and they do good things. They may be very charitable. They may be very, uh, you know, benevolent and they may be uh, very, very uh, entrepreneurial with their efforts to try to step out into like a foreign country or to try to step out and to a place that's really in desperate need or in a situation where people are creating all of these life-saving devices or ways that these different cultures can thrive because they may be very poor or they may be very sick. And there's all sorts of people that do good in the world. And it warms our hearts when we see people doing good. But Christianity is more than just us doing good. And just because I do good doesn't mean I'm a Christian. Just because I want to do good, just because I want to see better things in the world doesn't make me a Christian because anyone can do good. I can be a do-gooder and not know God. That's what Jesus said over in Matthew. He said, you can do a lot of good. You can have a form of godliness, <clears throat> but there's no real power. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we must intentionally, daily invest in a relationship with God. We must intentionally pursue the heart of God daily. And pursuing the heart of God is not about praying a certain amount every day and reading the Bible a certain amount every day because it shouldn't be about a certain amount. 
We don't consider loving our spouse or our children by giving them certain amounts. We love them by giving them certain priority. That's the difference. We don't love them by saying, okay, I've given you your love for the day. I've given you your attention for the day. And now I'm cutting you off. <clears throat> no more attention for you. No more love for you. I've given you the block that I've designated for you. That's no relationship. It's not in amounts. It's in priority. Man, if you go to a pastor's conference, there are, there's an interesting crew there. Um, let me tell you, and I've been to my share of pastor's conferences, and every pastor's conference, without fail, there's going to be this one speaker. There's going to be this one guy that's going to speak, and he's going to make everybody feel like they're just not doing a very good job. And he's not trying to make everybody feel like they're not doing a good job. He's going to get up there and say something like this. Without fail, every conference I've ever been to where there's a bunch of pastors in the room, here's what happens. The guy gets up and says, you know, pastors, if we want to see the power of God move in our churches and move in our communities and move in the families of the churches that we serve, we have to invest in our personal relationship with God. You know, this morning I woke up at 3 a.m. and I spent three hours interceding for the nations and crying out because the Holy Spirit was moving on my heart to pray. And then I followed that up with two hours of Bible study because I had to get in the Word. And then after that, there was three more hours of praying because the Spirit led me to pray yet again. And then on my way to the office after doing devotions with my family, of course, and having breakfast that I made for them. On the way to the office that morning, there was a homeless man on the side of the road. I stopped by and, and led him to the Lord, prayed with him. We both cried. I reunited him with his family. He now has a job and a home. It's a wonderful story. <laughs> and then after I got to the office, I spent more time in prayer and more time reading the scripture. And then I just continued to invest in that. And there was a couple that was struggling in their marriage. I was able to pray with them. Everything's great now. They love each other more than ever. And then after that, I spent some more time in message preparation because I spend about, you know, 70 hours a week preparing my message and then I went home to spend time with my children and play with them and took my wife out on a wonderful date we all came back home had family devotions yet again all prayed together and then we all went to bed but I only want to sleep a little bit because I got to wake up and pray for the nations again the next morning I don't know about you guys but that's how the power of God moves in my life and everybody's just going man I am awful I'm an I'm a terrible <laughs> terrible human being I should just quit the ministry now and that's <clears throat> That's how you feel when you hear that type of stuff. And, and, and you'll hear that stuff and go, wow, man, I, I could never measure up to that. I could never do what that guy does. I've never had those things happen. And then the enemy comes along. And the enemy says, you know what? You're not as good as that person. That's why you're having the struggles you're having. You're not as good of a pastor. You're not as good of a leader. You're not as good of a husband. You're not as good of a dad. You're not as good of a manager of your own personal finances. And man, you know, if you could be more like that guy. And then what do we do? We try. We try, because we think if we can do what that person did, that we can experience what that person experienced. And so we try, and we fail, and then the enemy says, yeah, you couldn't do it. I told you you couldn't do it. And we feel like doing the things the other person did is the goal, and we always feel like we're not doing enough, and we're always looking for enough, as if somehow God is handing out merit badges for us achieving certain amounts of times of prayer or certain amounts of time of Bible study. Do I want you as a Christian and as a member of this church, to be spending time in the Word of God? Absolutely. I think it's essential. Do I want to see you doing devotions and things like that? Absolutely. But listen, just because we do those things does not mean that we're Christians. And just because we do those things doesn't mean when we're done doing those things, we unplug from God, right? I don't unplug from loving my wife and loving my children after I've spent a little bit of time with them. They're still the priority, you see, here's the difference. The difference is, is that when you have a relationship with somebody, it's not about a certain amount of time as much as it is about priority. 
And that means that if my children need something from me, I'm available. If all of a sudden something happens in their life, regardless of what I have planned, I'm going to shift my thinking to make sure that I'm prioritizing those that are most important in my life because they're the priority in my life. It also means that when I want to do selfish things, that if I love my family, I'm going to put them first and I'm going to actually prioritize them so they're going to affect my decisions. They become the main filter for my decision making. Man, I may want to go out and buy that new hot uh, two-seater sports car with the convertible roof, but I've got a family of five. And it changes my decision making. And so I don't go with that option because it doesn't make sense. Instead, I choose something that makes sense for my family. Why? Not because uh, I've given them their time and their space in the, in the spot, but instead because I've prioritized them. It takes me 10 minutes to get ready. I'm out the door, but I know with them, I need to give at least, you know, two good hours. <clears throat> I don't know. That was kind of mean. Maybe an hour and a half. I give them more time to get ready. Why? Because I'm prioritizing them. I'm thinking about them. It changes my value system. It changes my priority. When I go out to eat, I don't just think about myself. I'm making sure I'm looking at the kids' menu. Why? Because these people are a priority in my life. That's because I have relationship with them. They become a priority. You see, seeking the kingdom of God first is not about praying a certain amount. It's not about reading the Bible a certain amount. It's not about a certain amount of church attendance or volunteering. All those things are good to do. But let me tell you something. Relationship is about priority. And if I prioritize God, then I'm going to deepen my trust with God. And the deeper my trust goes with God, then whether things are going my way or not, I can still hold fast to his hand because I know he's faithful and I know he's on my side and I'm going to trust him because he's good. Amen? But I've got to believe that and I've got to know that and I've got to know him, not just know about him. I can't just know all the right scriptures and can't know when to stand up, sit down and when to say this prayer and that prayer and know when to do this devotion and when to go do this and all the different things I need to observe. I need to know Him. All those things are good. There's nothing wrong with those things being built into our lives. But we have to put God in the place of priority in our lives to where we begin to prioritize Him in our decision making. Instead of just taking that job, we ask God about it first because we're prioritizing Him. God, is this what you want me to do? It may be a great opportunity, but what if God's not in it? What if God's not opening that door and you push that door open yourself? Or maybe it's something that's going to cause heartache and it may look like more money and it may look like a better opportunity, but is it the one God wants? Have you filtered that through Him? Have you prioritized the decision by allowing, seeking God first and His will and what He wants? Have you asked Him about that home purchase or that vehicle purchase? Have you talked to Him about the relationships and the people you surround yourself with? Are they honoring God? That's how we put God first. We're prioritizing God in our relationships and our circles of influence that we allow in our lives and the things that we allow ourselves to watch and be entertained with. Are we allowing God to come first to where we are prioritizing God and now we're seeking Him first and it's actually helping us to grow in Christ-likeness. That's the difference in a relationship. It's not just a once-a-week time card that I punch in and punch out and go, look, God, I showed up. And it's not about making sure I read my daily devotional. It's not about saying a certain amount of prayers and then I'm good and I disconnect. No, it's, it's about continually deepening my knowing God and my trusting God and my relationship with God throughout the day. I had a friend when I was a teenager, and this is really crazy for a teenager to do, but <clears throat> I had a friend that was a 
when she was a teenager, she did something I'll never forget. She was in our church, and she had a watch with uh, an alarm on it that she set to go off every 15 minutes. And she wanted that alarm to go off every 15 minutes throughout the entire day because she wanted to be reminded every 15 minutes to stop and to just acknowledge God. That's all she did. She said, I did it every 15 minutes throughout the day, regardless of where I was, whether she was at school, whether she was at home, whether she was at work, whether she was hanging out with her friends. If that alarm went off on her watch, that alarm goes off, she stops what she's doing and says, God, I just acknowledge you, even if it's just under her breath. Just so she would raise her own personal awareness that God is more than just Sunday morning. That God is more than just her quiet time in the morning or in the evening. That God is more than just a designated time of prayer. That God is everywhere and he cares about every detail and facet of our lives. He even knows the number of hairs that's on our head. So he cares about the small things and he knows what we have need of. And he wants us to know him more and trust him more and pursue him more daily. Some of you guys may be setting some alarms on your watch. I don't know. <laughs> but it was, I never did that, but I thought it was such a neat thing that she did because she wanted to raise her awareness that God was always there, that it wasn't a temporary thing, that it wasn't just a Sunday morning thing, but he was always there, and she stopped and acknowledged him. She just said, God, I acknowledge you. wasn't a big deal. She just, God, I acknowledge you. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Here we see that John is writing saying, if we know God, then we're going to have the love of God in us, that fruit of the Spirit of God living on the inside of us. It's going to change us. It's going to change the way that we act and react because now we're prioritizing God. Now when somebody does us wrong, instead of us retaliating and throwing a fit, we're actually reacting differently. Instead of us wishing ill on that person and wanting to see them fail and wanting to see them suffer, instead we begin to have compassion upon that person because now we're changing and we're growing into Christ's likeness and we're beginning to act and react the way that Jesus would act and react because we know him and he's influencing our heart, he's influencing our decisions and he's influencing our actions and reactions because we're prioritizing him first and we're putting ourselves in the back seat and we're saying, no self, I'm not going to react and act the selfish way that I have in the past. Instead, I want to act the way that Christ wanted me to act in this situation. So I need to know him more because I want to know how he, act, he would act or react to that situation. I want to know his heart. I want to pursue his heart so that that same mind that was in Christ can be in me, so that that same heartbeat for other people that was in God can be in me, so that I can care for other people because he lives within me, and I don't want to prioritize my flesh and my selfishness to put myself first because I see where that's getting me. Instead, I want to live to be more and more like Jesus, and if I know God, I know he's love. And the Bible says that if you don't have love for one another, then you don't know God, plain and simple. You're saying, Lord, Lord, you're saying the right things, but where's the fruit? Where's the love? Where is that compassion? Where is that fruit of the Spirit of God? Where's that joy? Where's that gentleness? Where's that peace? Where's that patience? Where's that kindness and that understanding? Where is that grace that other people need to give? Where's that heart for restoration instead of that heart to see? And, and man, this is, this is a, a, a checkup in our own hearts. Because we can get caught up and deceived doing good things, thinking that we know God. Deceived doing things that are good, and they are good things, and we could continue to do good things, but good things don't equate to a relationship with God because love causes a shift in our hearts. 
Love causes a priority shift in us. Whatever or whomever you love, you're going to make them a priority because love is from God and God is love. And God delights in us making him priority. He delights in us pursuing him and wanting to know him more. God delights in that. And I'm going to say something, and I may rock the boat a little bit, but here it comes. Are you ready for this? Stop reading the Bible for what you can get. Stop reading the Bible for what you can get and start reading the Bible to know God more. It's a completely different way to look at Scripture. So many people just want to go to the Word of God and they just want to see what can I get out of it. Are there things in the Bible that God has for us that He wants to give you? Yes. Absolutely. You can see God's promises all through the Scripture. But don't just read the Bible for what you can get out of it. Read the Scripture to know God more. Oh, well, I'm just not getting anything out of that sermon. Or, oh, I'm just not getting anything out of that church. Or, oh, I'm just not getting anything out of that, that, that story. Or, oh, I'm just not getting anything out of this. Who said that the goal was to get something out of it? Why is it not just to allow my affections to be stirred to know God more? Which one is actually going to help me in life? Getting head smarter or knowing my Creator more? Because you can read the same words a thousand times over, but if you spend time with God and you pursue Him and get to know Him more, it changes how you interpret those words and how it comes alive to you. And you begin to see something that maybe you've read a thousand times and all of a sudden it just now clicks and it just now comes to life and it just now starts to make sense because all of a sudden you know that God a little bit more than you knew Him before. And something that you just used to casually glaze over just to check it off of your Bible reading plan now became alive to you and caused you maybe to weep or caused you to get excited or caused you to repent or whatever the case may be. Because it became alive, it woke up something in you. The Bible is not an instruction manual, although there are instructions in it. The Bible does not stand for basic instructions before leaving earth. That's not what B-I-B-L-E means. It doesn't mean basic instructions before leaving earth. It is the revealed heart of God to us. It shows us who He is. There are instructions in it, but if I only read it for instructions, then I'm missing out on relationship. If I only read it to find out what I should and shouldn't do, I'm missing out on knowing the one who created me. If I'm only looking at it for formulas and for patterns or things that I can do to become more successful, then I'm just wanting God's stuff and not wanting God. And I'm just pursuing Him for what I can get from Him and not pursuing Him because I want to know Him more and I want to intimately know my Creator. You see, folks, there's a difference between religion and relationship. This is where the line is drawn. There is a line between religion and relationship, and some people blur the lines, and they get lost, and they get confused, because some people know about God, and they know about the things that a minister told them to memorize, and maybe even if they did it enough, that they would get what they want from God. Maybe they want forgiveness. Maybe they want eternal life. Maybe they want healing. Maybe they want a new car. Maybe they want a new, improved husband, but they only want the formula to get what they want, and they have a form of godliness, but there's no power. And the reason there's no power is because the power of God is in a relationship with God. That's where the power that will truly change a heart and change a life comes from. 
The power comes from relationship. That's why Paul said to Timothy, there's going to be people who have a form of godliness. They're after a formula. They're after a how-to. They're after a compartmentalized view of God, and they don't understand or comprehend relationship with God. So therefore, they've got a form but no power. He said, look out for those kind of people. He said, they're like wolves in sheep's clothing is how Jesus described them. They've got all the outward appearances of having it together, but there's no fruit. There's no fruit there. You want to experience God's best? Then get to know His heart. Because God is after your heart. The arrogance of Adam and Eve still exists in us today that would believe the lie that there's something better than what God has already given us. The arrogance of Adam and Eve would say, God, you gave us everything we needed and we had right relationship with you, but yet I still think there's more and it doesn't have anything to do with you and it's actually the exact thing you told us not to do, but I'm tempted and it sounds good. The snake whispered in my ear and I believed the lie and I took the fruit and it caused disconnect between us and God. That same arrogance still exists in the world today that would believe the lie that says there's something better than God. There's something more out there than God. That relationship is really going to make you happy. That amount of money or that position in the company is going to really make you happy. You don't need to put God first. You don't need to prioritize God because these things will really make you happy. Not God. Not connecting with other believers, not getting plugged in and connected in a family of believers in a local church, not spending time in the Word, not praying. No, 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 no. It's really going to be those extra zeros that will follow in your check that are going to make you happy, to be able to take those kind of vacations, and that's going to make you happy. So why don't you just work as hard as you can to get all these things, and then maybe make some time for God and give God thanks for all of it, you know, but don't prioritize them. That's what the enemy whispers in your ear and says there's something more than God. You need that person in your life. No, you need God in your life, and you need to be content with where you're at in life, whether things are going great or whether you may be struggling, because God can make you content in every situation to where you can exhale and go, I have everything I need if I have Him. Christ all of a sudden becomes enough, and it becomes more than just a, a, a limerick and a song. It becomes more than just something that we say or a bumper sticker or a t-shirt where we say Christ is enough for me. All of a sudden it becomes reality in my heart because I know I can trust him. And my trust gives me security in my relationship. And when I have security in my relationship, I can rest. People who don't have security in relationships are a hot mess. They are. If you don't trust your spouse, you are a hot mess because you are nervous about what they're doing or not doing, if they're telling you the truth, if they're lying, if they're trying to pull the shades over your eyes, whatever the case may be, you're nervous because you don't know if you can trust them or not. But if you've invested in that relationship and you have deep trust, then if they tell you something, you go, yeah, I believe that because I know you and I know that it's true. Whether good or bad, you trust them. You know, hey, we're going to be all right. I trust you. But deception causes me not to trust. And here's God who's faithful through and through. And he says, listen, you can trust me. You can be content right where you're at. It always blows my mind to think about third world countries and going on short-term mission trips and getting to have these experiences that are very non-American. And I take my Americanized view of the world, my very Western view of the world, into 
some of the lowest places on earth, and I've been in some really rough places that I've got to experience how other people live, but yet I see the joy of the Lord all over their faces. And I see that they're content. And it always shakes our westernized thinking to think how in the world could they be content when they don't have a house? How could they be content and not have clothes? How could they be content and not know where their next meal is coming from? Because they have Christ and He's become more than they need. He's become enough. And they can be joyful even in their condition because their happiness is not contingent upon the new car and the latest iPhone and, 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 and being the popular person in your circle of friends and having uh, a thousand likes on your post. I mean, that, that's not where their happiness comes from. Their joy comes from the Lord and He becomes enough and they're able to be content. And the same joy of the Lord that makes those content in situations where they literally have nothing is the same Lord that can be enough for you. But you have to know Him. You have to trust Him. You have to invest in that relationship with God. That's where the power of God comes from. The power of God that's going to change your life. That's going to help you navigate every circumstance regardless of whether it's good or bad or whether, yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to live your life afraid because you know that God's with you and He's more than enough. And He's become your all in all. And all these little things that we've memorized that we spout out as Sunday school answers become reality to us. Because we know Him now, not just know about Him. It'd be the equivalent of you reading the autobiography of your favorite celebrity or sports star, and then you actually get to meet him, and you're like, hey, I know you, and I know everything about you, and, and, and let me tell you, I, you went to high school here, and, and, and you like to eat this, and, and then you, this is your favorite color, security. <laughs> you don't know that person. Man, if you try to walk up to Aaron Rodgers, and you know all of his stats, security is going to take you out quick, and you are going to probably freak him out. You can know everything you want to know about him, but you don't know him. You may know somebody who met him once at a company event that he got paid a lot of money to come to, but you don't know him. You could have pictures of him in your house. You could have, you, 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 could, you even go and buy the same kind of clothes he wears. Has his name on the back and you wear the same clothes he wears, but you don't know him. Are you hearing me this morning? You, 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 can, you can find out all sorts of stats, all sorts of information. You can read all of this and memorize all of this and, and not know God. Because you're not pursuing Him for who He is. We just think that knowing is enough, but remember James says it's not in the knowing, it's in the doing. He said don't just be hearers of the Word, but be doers of the Word, right? Because the power of God is in the pursuit. Isn't that the fun part of any relationship? Is the pursuit... Isn't that the fun part? When you actually pursue one another, and you know when marriages start to grow cold is when they, start, they stop pursuing one another, when they stop looking to get to know one another more, and they think they've got each other figured out. That's when they start disconnecting. That's when they start being interested in someone else to pursue or someone else pursuing them because it makes them feel valued. It makes them feel like, wow, this person actually wants to know me and cares about me for who I am, not just what I can give them or what they can get from me. That's how marriages thrive, is when we continually pursue one another. We continue to stay interested in one another. That's where your relationship with God is going to thrive, too, because that's the way God made relationships. It's in the pursuit, folks. Oh, I wish I felt like I felt when I first got saved. Oh, I was such an excited Christian in the first year. Yeah, I know. And you were so excited when you first married your wife, too. And you have to continue to pursue. You have to continue to invest 
it's not something that just happens because you're a pastor. Hello, somebody. Because you're not just sitting around reading the Bible all day. It doesn't just happen just because you're sitting in church and you mark it off as, oh, well, I'm doing my God thing. Because it's not a compartment thing. It's not a God, I give you this time thing. It's God, I give you this priority in my life. Amen. That changes things. It, it, it changes the way we see God. You see, if we pursue Him to know Him through Scripture, through talking to Him, when we need stuff and when we don't need anything. You, have you ever just talked to God when you didn't need anything at all? Yeah. Just talk to Him. You know you can do that? You can do that? Maybe you need to set an alarm on your watch and just talk to God and just acknowledge Him. When you see something beautiful, when you drive by something that catches your breath or you're enjoying the day at the beach with your family, stop and say, God, thank you for this. God, you are awesome. You thought of this. This was your idea. This was your idea. You're awesome. I love you, Lord. You see, God wants us to pursue to know Him more through Scripture, through talking to Him, through being thankful. It changes the way we see God. It changes the way we see church. It changes the way I see other people. It changes the things I do. It changes the things I allow in my home and in my life. It changes my perspective because the pursuit of God changes my heart. I have to intentionally pursue God daily and remind myself that my preparation time for Scripture and for sermons as a pastor and my good deeds that I do are no replacement for my personal pursuit to know God more. I have to remind myself of that. I need to remind myself to invest in a relationship with God where the fruit of the Spirit is working and producing in my life because the Holy Spirit is working in my heart to sanctify me and to show others God's Spirit actively at work in my life because it brings glory to God and it deepens my faith and deepens my trust in God daily. The prophet Jeremiah was given this word in Jeremiah 29, 13, where he was speaking as God's mouthpiece to the people, and he said, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.